Today's gospel should get us to ask some big questions. Questions like, what is the good life? Or who is really well off? In fact, not just the gospel readings, but the two Old Testament readings as well. The reading from Isaiah, the reading from the the first Psalm. They both speak of these big questions, and they do so in in a way that frames the answer in terms of two different possible responses, two basic responses to the question of what life is all about. Um, Jeremiah 17 talks about those who trust in their own strength, those who trust in their own wealth, their own power, their own abilities, versus those who trust in the Lord. And Psalm 1 famously pits the the righteous against the wicked. There's these two ways of living, those who follow the way of the Lord and those who follow their own way into destructive paths. These, along with the, the Beatitudes that we just heard from Luke's gospel, they challenge the idea that our worth is measured by what we've accumulated or by what we've accomplished in life. And they get us to think about what life is all about and how best we are to live our lives. Just before the passage in Luke's gospel that we, that we read uh, is, the, is the, the choosing of the 12. Jesus takes the larger crowd of disciples that have been following him in his early ministry, and he selects 12 to be his sort of inner circle of disciples. And this would have been a very clear symbolic act to any Jews who were, who were you know, watching this unfold. This was a way of saying, I'm gathering around myself a new Israel, a renewed Israel. Remember the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, G- what Jesus is doing here is saying, we're, God is beginning a new thing here, and he's reconstituting, renewing God's people um, in the same way that he made the covenant with the people of Israel um, in years past. And in both of those cases, if you think back to the original covenant that God made with his people, um, part of that covenant relationship included uh, a series of blessings and curses, right? In the, in the giving of the law, you had blessings for those who obeyed the commandments and curses for those who disobeyed. And in a similar way, Jesus is posing the same kind of situation. Here's a new reconstituting the people of God, and here are some blessings and woes, some promises that God is making uh, to act in a certain way on our behalf to our glory, um, but then also some warnings about how we might step outside of those promises, how we could actually exclude ourselves from being recipients of those wonderful blessings. The, Be- the Beatitudes are notoriously difficult, um, both in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. They're beautiful, they're won- we all love them, they're beautiful, they're wonderful, but they're notoriously difficult to understand and to interpret. So I thought it would make sense to, to talk first about three things that the Beatitudes are not, and then maybe three things that the Beatitudes are, uh, if I can limit it to three. So three things that the Beatitudes are not. The Beatitudes are not a new ethic or a new set of rules. Sometimes we think that way. Jesus is giving us new things that we have to do in order to earn God's favor. Um, we must, these are things that we need to do in order to get into the kingdom. Um, but that's thinking about them all wrong. Um, as with the old covenant, God rescues his people through an act of sheer grace. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. Remember, the people in, in Israel, they were in bondage in, in uh, Egypt, right? God, they didn't do anything to deserve 
the salvation that God brought about. He, he, with a strong arm, brought them out of Egypt. Then as a result of that, he forms a relationship, and then he says, these are the expectations of the community in which I've now saved you to. Um, and the same situation is going on in the Beatitudes. The, op- the, the welcome of the gospel is to all, and the door is sort of flung wide open, and then there are expectations as a result of what, what living in the community actually looks like. So it's not a new ethic, it's not things that we need to do in order to earn God's favor. The Beatitudes are also not primarily about poverty or wealth and poverty. This is particularly confusing in when the fact that we have two accounts of these, right? And Matthew's account, um, or Luke starts by saying, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, yours is the kingdom of God. In Matthew's account, it's blessed are the poor in spirit. And so the question is, is Jesus primarily talking about material poverty, or is he talking about what Matthew calls spiritual poverty? And in one sense, I think this, is a, this will get us off the, on the wrong trail, because as we'll see, Jesus has, ta- has both of those in view. He has something to say about material poverty, material wealth, um, but he's primarily concerned with this spiritual condition or the spiritual attitude that Matthew talks about when he says spiritual poverty. But the two are connected, so we'll, see, we'll talk about that in a second, well, how those two are connected. The Beatitudes are also, lastly, not a list of conditions that are good in themselves. Some people get really confused because they say, it seems like he's saying poverty is good and being hungry is good and mourning is good. That's not what he's saying at all, of course. If they were good things in themselves, then we shouldn't work to alleviate poverty or hunger, which of course, I mean, the, you know, that's what we've been doing since the very beginning of the church, is, is working hard to alleviate those things. So those are three things the Beatitudes are not. What are the Beatitudes then? Um, I'll try to keep it to three things, although they're so rich, it's hard, you know, I, w- I want to just keep on going forever. Let's say three things and then I'll stop. The first thing is that the Beatitudes are a vision of the world through the lens of God's kingdom, or through God's eyes, if you want to think of it that way. Um, as citizens of God's kingdom, we are people who see our need and dependence on God. In that sense, we are poor, in Matthew's sense. We come to God with empty hands, and he fills them with lavish blessing. We all come to God that way. We are also people who see that there is much suffering in the world, much evil in the world, much injustice, and it grieves us. It makes us mourn, it makes us cry, makes us hunger for righteousness, a hunger that God promises one day to satisfy. We weep at injustice, and those tears are tears that God promises one day to turn into joyous laughter. In other words, there's a dissatisfaction with the present state of things, and a longing for God to bring his just rule on earth as it is in heaven. And this is why, this is the connection between spiritual poverty and and material poverty. This is why it's often easier for the down and out to see the world through this lens, through the lens of the kingdom. Those who are materially poor and hungry, those who are brought to tears and face persecution, know what it's like to be dependent. They know what it's like to to be dependent on others' charity, others' gifts. They know what it's like to receive help. Um, Often they're forced to know that. 
And as a result, there's a sort of easier transition to the life of faith where we all come to God in that same posture of humble dependence. Um, as one writer uh, has said, the blessedness in view does not result from the mere fact of being poor, but is inseparable from an attitude of dependence on God. And that idea of poverty as an attitude of dependence is a part of what it means to be a Christian, a part of what it means to be a member, a citizen of the kingdom. Um, but that, that spiritual poverty should cause us to help and act on behalf of those who have material needs, who have, uh, who have material poverty, who hunger and who weep. So first of all, the, the Beatitudes show us a picture of what our world looks like truly, what it looks like through God's eyes or from a kingdom lens. Secondly, the Beatitudes are an invitation and a warning. The gospel, as we all know and celebrate, is good news for all. It's a message that everyone can hear, everyone can receive, and is welcomed to receive and hear. Um, but there are also lots of times in the gospels where we see the message, it seems to be for us just a small group of people, for the poor, like in this gospel, or for those who are tax collectors and sinners. What that's What's going on there, I think, is it's a way of saying the gospel is available for everyone from the top of the social strata all the way down to the bottom. In other words, even the poor, even the tax collectors and sinners, even those whose society has already given up on, it's open and available for all of them. So it's not to say poor, not wealthy. It's not to say tax collectors and sinners, not those who are trying to do their best and live, live good lives. It's just to say that it's available for all. Um, there is only one door, though. The door to the kingdom is, for rich and poor alike, through that door of humble dependence on God. Once through that door, though, there are different implications depending on where we are on that spectrum. And the woes that follow the blessings, the four woes in Luke's gospel, are a warning not to mistake fleeting pleasures for our true treasure, not to mistake things that are passing away that really have no lasting impact, lasting value for the things that have really eternal value, eternal significance. The, the woes are addressed to those who have no need to cry out to God, who have no need to elicit his aid because they think that they have everything they need. They think that they're content just the way they are. And the reality is that, of course, without God, they have nothing. God alone satisfies what we are made, that yearning we have in our hearts, what we are made to, to, to desire. We know in Christ we have been given every spiritual blessing. We have a peace and contentment that can never be taken away. And this should free us from the bondage of our possessions, from seeking after honors, and make us only too willing to supply from our surplus someone else's dire need. If, however, we find that this is not the case in our lives, then this warning of Jesus is a word, a warning for us. So the Beatitudes talk of, give us a vision of the world through the kingdom eyes. They are an invitation as well as a warning. And lastly, the Beatitudes are a description of the kingdom because they describe the king. I'm not sure if you've ever thought of it this way, but 
the Beatitudes give us a glimpse of what God is up to, what God is doing in and through Jesus. This is what Jesus came to do. Um, the early church father, Ambrose, Ambrose of Milan said that people, when they see the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes should cause us to see beyond ourselves to the one who was made poor for us. They are, if you think about it, think of the Beatitudes and think of Jesus' life. They are the shape of Jesus' life. He lived a life of poverty for us. He hungered in the wilderness for us. He wept for us as he entered Jerusalem. He was hated, insulted, and crucified for us. And as a result, they are also the shape of the Christian life, following Jesus in the way of the cross. When God made a covenant with Israel back in Deuteronomy, he said, I have set before you today life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. In a world turned upside down, where injustice is all too common, Jesus is teaching us that things will have to be turned right side up again. That's what he's doing in his life and ministry, what he calls us to do in our life and ministry, so that paradoxically, the way of the cross becomes the way of life and peace. Actually, though, it's more than a choice. We have already received the benefits of the kingdom, the benefits of salvation. We are the poor who have received that priceless gift. So we know what true treasure is. And now it's our responsibility to use our gifts and resources for the work of the kingdom. The Beatitudes are an invitation. But this invitation to enter into the kingdom as a pauper becomes an exhortation to help the paupers in our midst, to help all to come to know God. In the parable of the prodigal son, God says, all that is mine is yours. We as Christians are to imitate God, sharing all that we have freely with others, that the gospel which has blessed us beyond measure might through us be a blessing to all we meet. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. May his grace abound in us and through us to the glory of his name.